The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. It's playoff time. Let's go. (laughs) Know the Score is being brought to you by the CSPN. You can find the CSPN on the web at cspn.us. You can also subscribe to Know the Score at iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and YouTube. So, of course, Dwayne, the Final Four. It was set when we last spoke, and since then, they have crowned a national champion. But Mm -hmm. before we could get there, Virginia, they survived against Auburn on a disputed foul call while Kyle Guy was shooting a three. He made all three free throws with about a half a second left to advance Virginia to the national title game 63-62. Just a heartbreaker of a loss from Auburn, who were down 10 with about five minutes to go. Rallied, had a lead, had actually had a four-point lead with about 30 seconds to go. Let Kyle Guy shake loose, get a three. Cut the lead down to one. Unfortunately, uh, their guard only made one out of two of his free throws, and that left the opening. Yeah, he certainly did. And then we want to talk about the end of the game. Uh, there kind of a couple controversies of the game. The clearly missed double dribble, but let's just face it, in that heat of the moment, Many people probably wouldn't have called that, um, you know. But they it was a clearly clear double dribble, ball bounce off his foot. He started a whole new sequence. Then you have the the great shot by Kyle Guy from the corner. That was definitely a great way to cut the lead down. Give Virginia credit because in this game they they had the lead, they gave up the lead, the last fourteen straight points, and then still found found a way to win. And that was a foul at the end because he was going into the shooter, and you go into the shooter, even though you're trying to pull back. The right call was made. You know, a lot of people may disagree with that, but, you know, that's what it exactly was. It was a foul. And there were kind of disputes over the end of the game where the, I think it was Bryce Brown got fouled at the end, but there was no call. I say there was no foul there either, but great game. Great run by Aubrey. Beat three of the wingest programs in college basketball to get to the Final Four. You know, the lost things, but something special is definitely brewing in Auburn, Alabama, and it's not on the football field. Shift over to game two. Texas Tech behind Matt Mooney's 22 points. They defeated Michigan State to move on. To play Virginia in the national championship game, they kind of grinded Michigan State down exactly what we thought. First team to 50 would win. That was Texas Tech. They won 61-51. So, you know this team very well. You've seen what they've done the past couple of years in the Big 12. This isn't a kind of flash-in-the-pan upstart if you've been watching Big 12 basketball. So, you know, just give me your overall thoughts on uh, Coach Beard and Texas Tech getting to the national championship game, let alone the Final Four. 
And this was just a great thing coming. I mean, we always say in playoff time that, you know, the defense is what gets you there. And for them to be third in the nation or tops in the nation in the top three, really in defensive efficiency, it, it just shows what what kind of a team they are. They're very long. They're very athletic. They they stay communicating, talking to each other. And that's the qualities of a defensive team. And what Chris Beard has done in the last several years at Texas Tech, he has really slowly built them into a powerhouse. And this is a team that's definitely not, you know, a flashy, you know, this is what we do. We we um, give up points. They grind it out. They they do have the ability to run a transition off that defense, and they can put a lot of points on the board when they want to. But with their defense grinding it out, especially in their very experienced team at Michigan State, and losing that, you know, winning or not losing that, I mean, winning that, you know, turnover battle, causing turnovers, making things so difficult for any Michigan State player. At one point, there was just three Michigan State players that did all the score, and everybody else was on a milk carton. So that's the way they've always played, and, you know, it does take a hot shooting night you know, to go along with that for Mike Moody, who was just an assassin from downtown. But great effort, you know, and Texas Tech is definitely not a team that's going to be going away anytime soon. (laughs) So in the matchup for the national championship between Texas Tech and Virginia, Virginia wins the national championship in overtime. Behind a career high 27 points for DeAndre Hunter. Kyle Guy is named the MOP, Most Outstanding Player. This was a game that everybody thought was going to be slow and boring and, you know, hard to watch, but it was contrary to that. It was very exciting. And again, controversy follows Virginia as they were awarded the ball out of bounds late in the game. Uh, that basically sent them on a run to close out the game to ultimately get the victory where it appeared it was going to be Texas tick ball. But after they slowed it down, it appears that the ball ticked last off the pinky of the Texas Tech player, allowing to Virginia to get the ball in that critical moment. And they never looked back. So Virginia, six years in the making. If you're an ACC fan, you've kind of seen this transformation come. Tony Bennett come in, pack line defense, really tough players, Malcolm Brogdon, Joe Harris, guys who've made it to the NBA. Um, you know, they've they're the most consistent, they have the best winning percentage in the ACC over the last four years. They've won four out of the last six ACC championships. So again, if you've been watching ACC basketball, this isn't kind of out of the blue. This has kind of been building for a while. Of course, they had the disappointment last year. First team ever to lose to a 16 seed as the number one seed. They were the number one overall seed in the tournament as well. So, so many question marks coming into this tournament. But <laughs> they had some scares. They had some good luck. But as Jimmy V said, all you got to do is survive in advance. And that's what they did all the way to the national championship. They really did. And and definitely, like I said, a stark contrast from what we expected. You know, that's why you play the game because on paper it looked like it was going to be what I call a time warp. Uh, Very, very methodical, slow approach. But both teams... And both teams do know how to get up and down the floor, uh, along with that playing the city defense. Maybe it was Texas Tech's ugly slack surf that cost the game. Was Texas Tech's player's name Culver? Culver? Derek Culver, yes. Yes. 
Okay, so Jared Culver had like what twelve points yes, in this game I'm somewhere around too. there. Yeah, he had a horrific night. While DeAndre Hunter, I mean, these are the you know the two obvious NBA players on the court. He had a career night, twenty-seven points. He hit the three-pointer late in regulation that sent the game into overtime. So I think that was the difference in the game. I think right there. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, it really does come down to star power and who your key guys. And you know, you had Texas State did have help, um, as well as Virginia in terms of Moody on the Red Raiders, Jerome on the Cat. Cavaliers, and but the stars really showed up. Well, one did, the other kind of was not there. And when it was kind of too late, he started to play the hero ball because at one point Texas Tech was up, and instead of running some clock, Culver tries to go for the dagger, and then end up going three the other way. So. Uh, definitely not a good sequence whatsoever, but things will, uh, like I said, this isn't the last you heard of Texas Tech, and this isn't the last, you know, we'll see of the Red Raiders in terms of basketball. They are definitely going to be a team that's on the rise. Virginia. They have great prospects for next year because the only person that they really assume to lose are going to be DeAndre Hunter. Um, Ty Jerome could maybe be like a late first-round pick, but a lot of people are thinking that he'll just come back to school. So they're going to have their basically their whole squad. Their point guard was a freshman this year. Uh, um, the other power forward, I don't want to say his name because I don't want to tank it. But Yes, sir. You know, he, he's like a sophomore. So, I mean, they've got a pretty good team that's going to be coming back next right. year. And a lot of people are projecting them to be the favorites uh, to win the national championship again. So, Tony Bennett has the monkey off his back. It should be easier to win the second one than it is the first one. So, we'll see what happens for Virginia. Congratulations to them, their fans, those guys, those players, those coaches who put in all that effort, all that hard work. And before we leave off of national championships and talk about coaches, we'd like to give a big shout out to the women over at Baylor. They beat Notre Dame in a fantastic game. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, there is a, a, an injury in that game to Baylor star player. So we hope that she gets better and has a full recovery. Um, tough break for Notre Dame's um, all everything point guard there missing the the free throws, uh, the first free throw out of two where she could have tied the game up from the free throw line. And, of course, the intentional miss never misses. And so it was kind of heartbreaking watching her, you know, walk off the court, really just dejected because she's had so many great moments the past couple of Final Fours here. So shout out to the women and their Final Fours where I want to acknowledge them here on another score. Absolutely. So we had some coaches move around as Mick Cronin, Fills the void over at UCLA. So he's leaving Cincinnati, leaving those harsh winters and that weird chili they make for the sunshine and surf of L.A. and Susie Rolls and all that good stuff. Uh, different type of coach. Mick Cronin's going to you know bring a toughness and you know Midwest kind of style of basketball over to UCLA. I don't know how that's going to work. But, you know, he's going to have at least four years to give it a try. And we'll see. Six years. Well, I say four because, you know, you get to your recruiting class. You may not always get those last two, though, if it don't work out good. Unless you're Danny Manning and you got one of these big old buyouts. And they're like, well, you know, it's cheaper to keep her. Hey, hey, easy on the Danny Manning, man. (laughs) So, uh, within the realm of UCLA trying to find a new coach, of course, they flirted around with some of the bigger names in college basketball. So Rick Barnes, he agreed to stay at Tennessee. He was one of the names. And, of course, John Calipari, he got a call. And John Calipari, being the ultimate salesman that he is, he worked his way into a lifetime deal with Kentucky after UCLA came a-knocking. So he's going to, I guess, coach until he doesn't want to coach anymore. And then after that, he's going to be kind of an ambassador 
and a, basically a spokesman for Kentucky basketball and the university, I guess, since he's a state employee. So good deal for Cal. He's always always had his eye on an end, so I guess this ends the speculation of him going to the NBA because there's always talk about Cal showing back up in the NBA. But with this move, it looks like he's signed the deal with Kentucky for life, and uh, he's going to be you know, the representative for BBN for as long as he's able to do it. What, what do you think about that? That's what, what do you think about that? Do you think that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, what I think about about that situation, it's a good hire for UCLA because he has actually had put six in the tournament each of the last nine years, and you know the Pac-12 is really still kind of on the downside. Only two teams or three, if you really want to uh, count really want to go into it the only three teams that are out there that are doing relatively anything are Washington uh, Arizona and Oregon so the rest of the conference is wide open and so uh, once uh, Mick Cronin kind of gets you know his his guys coming in and you know the players get used to the style of play uh, UCLA is banking on that uh, at least that consistency because they haven't been past the first round in a long time. I think it's like 2008 or nine was the last time they really got for them. They got to Elite Eight in 08. So um, they haven't won a national title since 1995, which is a good 20 some odd years. So, and, you know, this is a school that has 11 national titles under John, well, 10 under John Wooden and then the one from Jim Herrick. So, this is definitely something I, do I think he can win the title? Depend, it depends. You never know. You know, we always, the tournament is one of the biggest crapshoots in sports. You know, all it takes is six times to be the better team. And, you know, the one time where you may not be the better team and you win the game. So let's look at what happened with Duke. So um, I like the hire. You know, you may not have got the guy that you wanted and got Cal Perry. And it was a great move by Kentucky to kind of fend off UCLA with that lifetime deal. And I think Rick Barnes is just comfortable in Knoxville. Let's face it, you know. He's built that program in Tennessee. He's turned them into a, uh, the basketball pro, the career basketball program right now. Uh, you know, the women's basketball program has been kind of down. Football's been kind of down. So Tennessee needed something, and they are getting it that uh, getting it right now from Rick Barnes and he what he's done. You know, it's taking some time, but. Tennessee's at the top of the SEC in basketball. So, you know, people are kind of like, well, why would you want to stay in Knoxville? And I'm like, it's comfort. You know, who UCLA is a very high-pressure job, let's face it. And, you know, you don't perform well, it gets magnified. So why would you want to leave the comforts of where you're at to take that high pressure job, you know, but he's comfortable where he is. Big Cron is up for the challenge, got a bigger budget with UCLA versus Cincinnati, you know, Pac-12 versus the Americans. So I like the hire. I'm a fan of it. I like the fact Rick Mars decided to stay and I like the lifetime deal Cal got. So everything, everybody's a winner here at the end of the day. This is Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente. I'm here with my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. Dwayne, we're going to transition from the college ranks into the NBA. And out of the blue, Magic Johnson steps down as the president of the Lakers. Just another cog in the terrible season that has been this season for the Lakers. You know, if you... Look back just a mere 
uh, July would be what my nine months ago or so. It would be like, oh man, LeBron's coming to the Lakers. They've got all this young talent. If they can kind of show some things and LeBron can lead them and get them in the right direction, they can at least get in the playoffs. And you never know what happens with LeBron in the playoffs. You know, he goes zero dark 30 or whatever. And playoff LeBron is different than regular season LeBron. And then it never matured. A couple of injuries and some trade rumors. And that. The season unraveled, and now at the end of it all, Magic is like, I'm not having fun. It's better to be Magic because I can move around, move and shake around the league and help guys and be in contact with people. And in this role, everything I do like that is considered tampering, and I have to be more in the background, and that's not me. So he says that, you know, he's going to give that job up and let somebody else have it. So your thoughts on the Lakers season as a whole and just Magic Johnson stepping back into the role of Magic Johnson and not the role of the president of the Lakers. Well, my first thought of this was ha 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 ha. So, yeah, that was my first thought. But now rationalizing it, I'm going to put the journalist hat on and I'm going to simply for being a fan here because yeah, anybody that knows me knows how I feel about the Lakers. So, um, I think Magic was not happy at the end of the day. You could see the relief when he was having that press conference. Like, it was a weight that was off his shoulder as shoulders as he was talking about how he wanted to just be free. And, you know, he could even, he even said he could be there for the way his last game. He's, he could he can talk to Ben Simmons. He can talk to really anybody, you know. He, he definitely is more comfortable being that big brother and being ambassador. And let's also face it, Magic Johnson has so many investments in other things. Was he really even having the time to prioritize the Lakers like he should have? So, at the end of it all, I think he did the right thing. I'd step it down. You know, it's a good it's a good move for the franchise, and I think he also. He said he he said it didn't have anything to do with with what I'm about to say, but I think he had the heart to fire Luke Walton. I think he kind of was like, yeah, I had to fire this guy, especially that, especially since you know, GD Bus is a big Luke Walton supporter, but she gave Magic the authority and she was gonna back him up with whatever he did, even though you know Luke is. The coach that she she thinks can still be the great coach that she feels like he can be, and we saw what Luke Walton did, even as an interim coach at Gold State. It's not that he, you know, he just doesn't have four all stars like he did, or yeah, four all stars like he did before. So. Now, the Lakers, the season's just been a disaster. I think I think it started going downhill with LeBron's injury to his groin on Christmas. Then, then you had the Anthony Davis saga where, you know, they threw everything but the kitchen sink. I think they even tried to throw the kitchen sink and the toilet and the bathroom sink and literally anything that involves plumbing in their house to try to get Anthony Davis and the Pelicans are kind of like, yeah, we're kind of not going to go that route. So my thing at the end of the day is this disastrous season and the LeBron James era. They got the cap space. They got the money. And I was actually talking to 
a friend of mine who is a huge Laker fan, and, you know, he had a crazy idea trade LeBron James to whoever gets a number one pick for what we presume Zion Williamson. I don't know if that will work. You know, he's looking at it from the fact that, hey, we already got a young core. Might as well let this young core develop for a few years and then maybe add a veteran presence that's an elite talent. And you may have a a, a consistent winner in the future. You know, I could see it. I can understand it. But things that happen, probably not. Um, but it is just something to maybe think about. I don't know, but they have, it's just gonna... they have to throw in so many players though, because with the um, NBA, you know, they have to make the salaries equal, right? So they'd have to throw in a huge amount of players to equal LeBron's huge salary. Exactly. Which is what I also alluded to as well, because that would be that definitely would be quite a bit. But but um, I definitely think that there's Rob Flake has got a lot of work to do. The biggest issue is that you know with agents being GMs on teams nowadays. The issue for Blake is who's going to want to play there because he's not really well-liked as an agent. So if he's going to still be the GM of this Laker franchise, he's got his work cut out for him. So uh, LeBron's already shut, set up the water shot saying that that is his. Uh, this is usually like his wife and his kids kind of night. So if things are playing out like they optimistically should have, then we could be in for a very, very drama-filled spring and summer this time next year. Wrapping up in the NBA, we're coming down to the close of the season. There are still a couple of playoff spots up for grabs, so we can't really... Uh, you know, preview any of the playoff matchups quite yet, but we'll have those on the next episode. But Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki, these two are going to bid farewell to the NBA at the end of the season, and they played their final games, and they both scored 30 points as they had a throwback one last night, took a step into the Wayback Machine, it looks like Dwayne Wade is going to miss the playoffs. It looks like Miami was going to be in there for most of the season, but they faded here towards the end of the season. They are definitely out already because they don't have the tiebreaker with the Hornets and they don't have the tiebreaker with the Pistons. All right. And Dirk, he you know, got a chance to be a part of the Luka era, so basically passing the torch. From one Euro to another as Dallas is in the, uh, I guess, the official rebuild stage uh, after this year where Dirk will ride off into the sunset. Uh, probably did the most for the perception of European players than anybody else. And it took a little while because, you know, everybody, the rap on the Euros where they were soft in the late nineties coming in the early two thousands, but around the mid two thousands, Dirk found his game and you know, you don't hear that as much anymore due to Dirk and what he was able to do in the way that his game matured. So, you know, your thoughts on Dwayne and Dirk, uh, they'll definitely be linked as far as their basketball careers. They uh, played in the finals twice against each other, both men winning the championship, uh, and uh, they're only, well, in Dirk's case, his only championship. Wade went on to win several more with the Heat, but that was his first one against Dallas. So, you know, your thoughts on Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki riding off into the sunset and what they have meant to the NBA uh, over these past uh, almost 20 seasons. 
Yeah, 20, 21 years for Dirk. A good uh, 16 for Dwayne Wade. And so, great, great men, great players, and definitely revolutionary in the sense where, you know, not only did Dirk Nowitzki come in, you know, and develop into one of the premier uh, NBA players, he made it so difficult with, you know, that the setback one-legged uh, fadeaway, the, the long-distance shooting for a big man. I think he was definitely one of those first uh, stretch fours if you really want to want to go that route, you know. You know, power forward shooting threes was, you know, a rare thing. And so at the time, he was a unicorn before – before the unicorn, Chris Esposito came around. So, um, and so, because of Dirk's contributions, and we remember the 06 finals, you know, definitely ran into a prime shack, uh, emerging the way Wade, and the Miami Heat definitely took over that series. But five years later, even in the first season of the Miami Big Three era where they were steamrolling through the league, they caught their niche. But 2011 was definitely the year that Dirk was a man possessed in that year. And he also won an MVP, even though his uh, team ended up getting knocked out in the first round by the uh, Golden State Warriors. But the the fact that 2011 came around and i never seen such an individual effort throughout the postseason like I did, like Dirk Nowitzki did that year. And, you know, we always kind of do that troll game where one man faces <laughs> you know, literally three of the top players in their draft class, and he comes out just shooting the ball, you know, making passes, making long-distance shots, inside-outside game, everything. Uh, so close it out on Dirk, and, you know, the announcement came, you know, at the very end of the game. I think he he just didn't want to, you know, be too big of a distraction, even though we kind of knew the writing was on the wall. But it definitely was a great run, great career. First battle Hall of Famer easily. Now, Dwayne Wade, same thing, you know. And I think what people, you know, also give Wade credit for is, you know, that humanitarian side that he has, the uh, what he does on the forest community. Uh, you know, if you watch that Budweiser commercial uh, with the jersey swaps, that was very, very touching. Um, Dwayne Wade, definitely one of the better all-around players, athletes in the NBA, very quick on the dribble. Uh, you know, the shot wasn't there all the time, but he definitely was the true leader, the face of the Miami Heat, the model of consistency. He's definitely the reason why, you know, basketball still on South Beach. Let's go ahead and uh, face that when Miami Arena and the Heat were kind of in the doldrums of the NBA, but the way Wade comes in, you know, resurrects this team, and has a very, very productive career. You know, he leaves, comes back, still has a pretty significant role, and definitely the last um, the last game was one of the best ones I've seen in such a long time. Yeah, they'll definitely be missed. They definitely left their mark on the game. Like you said, Dirk and the patented fadeaway. Dwayne Wade, his just relentless pursuit. 
of taking the ball to the basket. Like you said, wasn't the best shooter, but he always found a way to score his points and impact the game. Uh, just competed, getting out on on the defensive end, you know, steals, fast breaks, whatever it took. He was always where the action was. So we'll definitely miss Dirk and Dwayne Wade and hope that they can find, you know, something to challenge them and give them the same joys and thrills that they had while they played uh, the NBA basketball. I know it's very hard. I actually saw where Dwayne Wade is going to kind of have like a, a sports psychiatrist to kind of help him through, you know, this phase because it's got to be hard. You spend your whole life playing basketball growing up. Then you go to college and play. Then you spend almost 20 years playing in the NBA. What do you do? <laughs> you know, one day you just, it's just all over. So now what? Right. So, and, and then also, also, I was going to say, what else was I going to say? I think the, the, um, Oh, yeah. I was going to say this. You know, everybody knows or knows that, you know, unlike very, very many others, I am a Paul Pierce fan. I've been a Paul Pierce fan for years. However, Dwayne Wade had the better career. And we're going to just call a spade a spade on that one. Sorry, Paul. Still my, still my, still my guy, Rochelle Jayhawk, but Dwayne Wade definitely had a better career. But, Let's also say this um, in regards to that, um, you know, different situations, different circumstances. Uh, maybe if Pierce did have somebody earlier in, in the career, we would probably be having a different conversation. But, you know, given everything that's been done, Dwayne Wade had a slightly better career. All right. So that's that. The Paul Pierce fan has spoken. He's given a nod to Dwayne Wade, so I guess we'll have to let you have the final word on that debate. <laughs> now we'll shift over to the NHL because it's playoff time on the ice. Yeah! So we'll run through the Eastern Conference matchups. You tell me which matchups you're looking forward to the most. And then we'll, you know, I'll ask you who you think is going to advance, and we'll do the same thing for the West. So in the Eastern Conference, number one seed Tampa Bay is going up against the eighth seed, the Columbus Blue Jackets. We've got Boston going up against Toronto. The Washington Capitals are going up against my Carolina Hurricanes. And the New York Islanders are going to face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So right off the bat, which series are you looking forward to the most in the Eastern Conference? I'm looking forward to that Capitals Hurricane series only because A, we haven't seen springtime tailgating hockey in a good 10 years. So it's always good in the Carolinas to see hockey tailgates. You know, it's always fun going to the games in Raleigh, everybody having a good time. And, you know, hockey tailgates are always fun. So. I'm definitely looking forward to that. You have the, I think, on the ice in the competitive matchup, you have the uh, Penguins and the Islanders. Uh, a lot of people thought when John Tavares left the Islanders for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Islanders would probably just be one of the doormats of the NHL, but give credit to former Washington Capitals coach Barry Trotz, who took over for the Islanders the year after he won the Stanley Cup with the Capitals, which is crazy. That's a whole other story, though. But he got this team into the playoffs. They definitely are riding high, but they're going up against the game's best, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Balkin, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who definitely have been the model consistency in Going to the playoffs, this is their 13th straight season in the playoffs. And they're looking for another Stanley Cup, especially, you know, since they got vanquished by their arch nemesis, the Capitals, uh, finally after so many tries. Uh, all the, all the, you got the classic rivalry, original six rivalry, the Bruins and the Maple Leafs. Uh, the Maple Leafs, have a lot more talent, but 
they're going up against a very, very experienced and very, very good uh, Bruins team, uh, Chara, Marshawn, Bergeron, uh, guys who are definitely a team that they fly around the puck. They definitely play a great defense. And, you know, the the Leafs have some star power, some young stars. Uh, they do have Tavares. They have Austin Matthews, uh, Patrick Marlowe with the experience, Mitch Warnier as well. Uh, but I'm wondering if the coaching is going to be the difference. Can Mike Babcock get out of this uh, first round? And that's going to go to the burning questions. Uh, Toronto has definitely not been in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs since about 2010 anyway. So a lot of work cut out for the the Leafs as they try to, you know, end the current longest Stanley Cup draft. They have not won a Stanley Cup since 1967. So that's 52 years right now without a Stanley Cup. So... Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are probably going to be a team that's uh, kind of like on a Virginia-like redemption tour. Uh, the Lightning won 62 games this season, which tied the NHL regular season mark set by the Detroit Red Wings. They went 62-17-4. Or 62, yeah, 62-17-3, I'm sorry. But, you know, they definitely won the President's Trophy. Only problem is... With the president's trophy, it's kind of, kind of like, do you really want to win that trophy? Because only one team in the last ten years has won that Stanley Cup off of the president's trophy. That was the twenty uh, twenty thirteen fourteen Blackhawks. That was off a of lockout season, however. So, winning the president's trophy doesn't necessarily guarantee you a Stanley Cup. You have guys who flamed out in the Easter Conference Final against the Capitals with the uh, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Braden Point, Ryan Callahan. They got, those guys need to be on from the puck drop to the end of this run. If any of those three fade out, uh, it'll be a definitely a short circuit kind of postseason run, and we could uh, definitely uh, see a possible upset. Uh, and then, lastly, the on the Eastern Conference, the Capitals or the Hurricanes. Uh, you know, the Hurricanes are a young team, but they got a coach that has been in the playoffs, Rob Brindamore, who is definitely I think he should be NHL Coach of the Year. The Jack Adams. Trophy winner for Coach of the Year should go to him because what he has done with this young team led by Captain Justin Williams, uh, Sebastian Ajo, and many, many others of that supporting cast, this is a team that can definitely make some noise. They have nothing to lose. They're going to play loose, play fun, have fun. Hopefully we get a postseason storm surge, and I definitely want Don Cherry to see that. So he can have an aneurysm, and we can all laugh at him. It is ridiculous to call them a bunch of jerks and all that good stuff. But they do have a tall task. They're facing the defending Stanley Cup champs, led by probably one of the game's best in Alex Ovechkin. Uh, you know, you got Ovechkin, you got Brandon Holby in the pipes, you have uh, Kuznetsov, and a lot of uh, there's a support cast that I definitely can name, but I'm going to just kind of shorten it. But it should be a very fun series. Uh, these two teams really go at it in the Metropolitan Division the regular season. I don't expect that to change in the playoffs. We'll shift the scene over to the Western Conference as we have your Nashville Predators going up against the Dallas Stars. Winnipeg. Predators. I just live here. <laughs> Winnipeg, they're going up against St. Louis. The Calgary Flames, they're taking on the Colorado Avalanche. And the San Jose Sharks, they're taking on there you go. the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Correct it. My San Jose Sharks. There you go. Oh, you like the Sharks? Hmm. I've been a Sharks fan since 92. 
There'd be some interesting backstory on that. It has anything to do with uh, NHL hockey on Sega or Super Nintendo? No, I, man, I want to say when I first started watching hockey, I know the stars were established in 91, but kind of really started understanding and getting into sports in uh, 92. And so the stars were really kind of just like the new kids on the block. So kind of gravitated towards that, and I've been a fan ever since. All right, so break it down. The Western Conference first, the matchup that you're looking forward to the most, I guess, San Jose versus the Las Vegas Knights. You would think that. I definitely, and I want to get into that in just a second, how I feel about that. But the matchup I'm looking forward to in this uh, series is actually the St. Louis Blues and the Winnipeg Jets. And the reason why I look at it, to that. The Central Division was probably one of the closely contested playoff races in this in this um, season. I think for a lot of National Predators fans, yes, I live here and I do talk about to Predators fans. The team that they did not want to face was the St. Louis Blues. The Blues definitely had their number with the Predators, and they also had their number with the Winnipeg Jets. So, uh, Nashville did win the Central Division at the end of the season uh, to avoid the St. Louis Blues. And so they make the, the Winnipeg Jets problem. St. Louis is a very dangerous team. A lot of, lot of, uh, no real big stars. Uh, the biggest star is probably Vladimir Tarasenko, who can definitely fire off shots and score goals. Uh, you know, as long as Jake Allen can stay consistent between the pipes, the the uh, Blues definitely have a chance. But uh, Winnipeg, you know, if they can get through the the Blues can get through the Winnipeg whiteout just fine. Uh, they do have a chance. It's all about it's all about taking that road game in the Stanley Cup playoffs. First team usually that wins on the road wins the series. So, with that being said, very evenly matched between these two teams. I would love to see the series go to seven. And definitely want to keep an eye on so many things. Uh, the defense, the offense, and that body. And, and uh, also just the energy. How are these teams going to come out? Uh, the crowds are always juiced up even more when it comes to uh, playoff hockey. So I definitely want to see how the teams react. Uh, so that's probably the one I look forward to the most. Then I would say the Sharks and Golden Knights. Uh, they definitely, this is, even though Vegas is a year two, this is becoming a very fierce rivalry between these two teams. Uh, the the uh, Golden Knights did put out the Sharks on their way to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, last year, their first season, uh, they do have a lot of talent. William Carlson, uh, Riley Smith, Cody Eakin. They got Mark Stone on a trade from Ottawa at the deadline. Mark Stone has fitted so well in Vegas. He signed an eight-year extension to stay, and he's actually made this team a lot better because before, Vegas was kind of like, in the middle, they're kind of bitterly. If it wasn't for the Anaheim Ducks and the LAKs being so horrible, uh, Vegas would probably miss the playoffs. So, very, very smart, a very, very great trade uh, to get Mark Stone from the Senators, the Ottawa Senators. And they're going up against a Sharks team who has everything, you know, in terms of. In terms of like firepower, they got the high score defenseman and a long time Brad Burns. They have they have uh, Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Timo Meyer, who scored his best goal scorer machine, Tomas Hurdle. A lot of different different elements in the in the um, in the hockey game. Uh, another former senator that should have an impact in this game. Eric Carlson, who's playing uh, with the San Jose Sharks, he was acquired in a trade at the start of the season. 
Uh, I can't forget about Evander Kane either for the Sharks. Uh, the biggest concern I have for San Jose, and I think Vegas will probably have the biggest advantage in goaltending. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury has resurrected himself since being uh, since being selected in the expansion draft coming from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, but Martin Jones, we will need to see if um, playoff Martin Jones comes alive, or will it be the shaky regular season Martin Jones and the um, in the what's the word I'm looking for uh, at at goaltender? So definitely, we'll need to keep an eye on those things. Uh, hopefully, the Sharks win, uh, but I expect a competitive series there. And the stars of the Predators, uh, it's going to be really depending on how Jamie Ben goes for the for the uh, Dallas Stars. Uh, ben got called out by the team president, really for his lack of production, but he was able to really kind of reinvent his game a little bit, kind of adapt his game to the coaching style of Jim Montgomery, and the Stars ended up. Uh, getting the first wild card spot, and they're going up against a Predators team who has the core set. And as long as these guys are healthy, these guys are dangerous. Uh, PK Subban, of course, uh, Victor Arverson, who said the franchise record for points. Uh, of course, you got the probably one of the best goaltenders in the game, uh, Pekka Rine. And also keep an eye out for uh, the captain, Roman Yossi, as well for Nashville. Uh, Bridgestone is the loudest arena in the NHL. They do have probably the best home ice advantage in the NHL. And if the Stars can get them out of their game and get that crowd out of it quickly, then they have a good chance to get a win. Uh, they have a chance to get a at least a split in Nashville. And then finally, the Avalanche of Flames. Uh, the Flames were the best team in the Western Conference with 107 points. And the Avalanche, kind of like a hot and cold, literally, kind of matchup. And so uh, definitely two contrasting styles. Uh, the Flames like to fly all over the ice. The Avalanche kind of like to be methodical and slow it down. So... Is going to be can the can the Flames uh, keep that pace up through the next um, sixteen possible wins? Uh, and of course, probably the best one of the best sights you'll see when these two drop the puck Thursday night is the sea of red. Everybody in um, in the uh, Scotia Bank Saddle is going to be in red. So uh, definitely uh, one of the best things in hockey is to see it. Uh, it's kind of like Oklahoma City where everybody's kind of like wearing the same color and everybody's united. So uh, have fun with this postseason. I'll definitely be posting all the game times and schedules each and every day as I do each and every year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next Monday because it will be on in the PNC Arena as the Washington Capitals. We'll be coming into Raleigh, hopefully down two games to none. Face the <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes for the first time in a decade. Uh, I was there when they clinched the uh, playoffs against New Jersey. And, man, the, everybody in that crowd was so nervous, but you could feel just their excitement of what could happen. And in that game, they started out slow. They got down one nothing, and then they uh, tied the game up. And once they tied the game up and got the go-ahead goal, and it was two to one, now everybody started feeling a lot better. And yeah, man, they did it. And so they're back in the playoffs, like you said, for the first time in a decade. Really big uh, happening here in Carolina. Everybody's excited. Everybody's looking forward to what they can do. And I, like you said. They gotta just they gotta play smart. They can't take penalties. And uh they gotta protect the middle of the ice. Washington does a very good job of getting you watching the puck as they take it out towards the boards, and then they have somebody come right down the middle 
a lot of times wide open one-on-one with your goaltender, and they have too many talented goal scorers. Especially number eight. Yeah, to leave your goal to leave your goalie out there with nobody in front of them to slow one of those shots down or, you know, get them off the line. So that's what they'll have to work on. If you see Carolina taking a lot of penalties or you see a lot of goals from Washington getting right in front of the goalie with guys coming full speed, yeah, it's going to be a long series. But if they can make them really work and grind for their goals. Well, yeah, that's the beauty of the Stanley Cup playoffs because anybody can win it. Like when National made the Stanley Cup, they were literally the 16th overall best team in, in that playoffs. They came in, they came in literally like the last team in and then ended up going to the Stanley Cup. So, you know, when it comes down to it, there's a lot more there's a lot more opportunity for upsets in the NHL, more so than the uh, NBA when it comes to uh, the talent level, things of that sort. But it's just fun to watch because there's a lot more, there's more, uh, what's the word, parity. But that's apples and oranges, you know, two different leagues, two different systems. But it's definitely a fun time of year. Uh, this is you know, aside from March Madness, definitely one of my very favorite times of the year. All right. So that wraps up this portion of Know the Score. So, Dwayne, I'll turn it over to you for your final thoughts and your shout outs and thank yous. Uh, shout out to all the listeners. Shout out to all the all the uh, podcasters who do their thing each and every week. Uh, you know, congratulations to Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship. I know that's uh, more of a WrestleCast kind of thing, but I definitely got to shout that out. Um, my final thought would kind of just have to be, since you know we uh, we did a full uh, hockey segment, which I'm very, very stoked about, uh, I guess the final thought is going to really be the, uh, since we did, we don't know who's going to be playing who in the playoffs, Really, it's more about that AC to tonight as we kind of record this, or well, as we record this, not kind of. As we record this, we have, you know, Detroit literally playing the Knicks. All they got to do is win and they're in. It's uh, pretty much sounds like a simple task, uh, especially considering the Knicks are 16 uh, to 64. Yeah, 16 to 64. Or sixty and sixty-five, one of the two. But uh, all they gotta do is win it there. If the if they lose and, and the Charlotte Hornets win, the you know we'll have two teams in the Carolinas possibly playing uh, playoff uh, playoff sports. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, hopefully, we can get back on here quickly to do that basketball. Basketball preview, definitely excited for the NBA playoffs that start on Saturday. Thank you, Dwayne, for joining me once again. So my first shout out will be to you. My final thought will be I'm going to Richmond Raceway to cover the race up there this weekend. Looking forward to seeing if Kyle Busch can maintain his hold on this NASCAR season so far. It's been a duel between Penske Racing and Joe Gibbs Racing as this is going to be our I think our ninth event and they've shared you know all the wins so far uh, Joe Gibbs Racing has five Penske has four nobody else seems to be close so we'll see if that can change on the short track up in Richmond it's always been a good time the couple of times that we've went in the past last year went to both races had a great time uh, expect the same thing this year so be on the lookout for some exclusive content over on the Patreon page, videos and uh, things of that nature. Also, be looking out for some podcasts. Know the score special podcast from inside the media center and the media days with the drivers and whomever we can just walk up on and see if they'll give us some time. They're pretty good like that in NASCAR if you can just catch them in the right moment. So I'm looking forward to it, like I said, and uh, can't wait to get out to Richmond and 
film some things and watch those cars go around and see who's going to win this race on Saturday night. So check it out if you're a NASCAR fan. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Always a good time in Richmond. Always, always, especially on a Saturday night. Nothing, nothing like racing under the lights. Love it. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. <laughs>